What did you bring? Mrs. Dombrowski asks, and I realize why she's toting her husband's urn. At our last meeting, our facilitator, Marge, had suggested that we share a memory of whatever it was we had lost. I see that Shayla is clutching a pair of knit pink booties so tightly her knuckles are white. Ethel is holding a television remote control. Stuart has, again, brought in the bronze death mask of his first wife's face. It has made an appearance a few times at our group, and it was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen. Until now, when Mrs. Dombrowski has brought along Herb. Before I have to stammer my answer, Marge calls our little group to order. We each pull a folding chair into the circle, close enough to pat someone on the shoulder or reach out a hand in support. In the center sits the box of tissues Marge brings to every session, just in case. Often Marge starts out with a global question. Where were you when 9-11 happened? It gets people talking about a communal tragedy, and that sometimes makes it easier to talk about a personal one. Even so, there are always people who don't speak. Sometimes months go by before I even know what a new participant's voice sounds like. Today, though, Marge asks right away about the mementos we've brought. Ethel raises her hand. This was Bernard's, she says, rubbing the television remote with her thumb. I didn't want it to be. God knows I tried to take it away from him a thousand times. I don't even have the TV this works with anymore. But I can't seem to throw it out. Ethel's husband is still alive, but he has Alzheimer's and has no idea who she is anymore. There are all sorts of losses people suffer, from the small to the large. You can lose your keys, your glasses, your virginity. You can lose your head. You can lose your heart. You can lose your mind. You can relinquish your home to move into assisted living, or have a child move overseas, or see a spouse vanish into dementia. Loss is more than just death, and grief is the gray shapeshifter of emotion. My husband hogs the remote, Shayla says. He says it's because women control everything else. Actually, it's instinct, Stuart says. The part of the brain that's territorial is bigger in men than it is in women. I heard it on John Tesh. So that makes it an inviolable truth? Jocelyn rolls her eyes. Like me, she is in her twenties. Unlike me, she has no patience for anyone over the age of forty. Thanks for sharing your memento, Marge says, quickly interceding. Sage, what did you bring today? I feel my cheeks burn as all eyes turn to me. Even though I know everyone in the group, even though we have formed a circle of trust, it is still painful for me to open myself up to their scrutiny. The skin of my scar, a starfish puckered across my left eyelid and cheek, grows even tighter than usual. I shake my long bangs over my eye and from beneath my tank top pull out the chain I wear with my mother's wedding ring. Of course, I know why. Three years after my mom's death, it still feels like a sword has been run through my ribs every time I think of her. It's the same reason I am the only person from my original grief group still here. While most people come here for therapy, I came for punishment. Jocelyn raises her hand. I have a real problem with that. I blush even deeper, assuming she's talking about me, but then I realize that she's staring at the urn in Mrs. Dombrowski's lap. 
It's disgusting, Jocelyn says. We weren't supposed to bring something dead. We were supposed to bring a memory. He's not a something, he's a someone, Mrs. Dombrowski says. I don't want to be cremated, Stuart muses. I have nightmares about dying in a fire. Newsflash, you're already dead when you're put into the fire, Jocelyn says, and Mrs. Dombrowski bursts into tears. I reach for the box of tissues and pass it toward her, while Marge reminds Jocelyn about the rules of this group, kindly but firmly, I head for the bathroom down the hall. I grew up thinking of loss as a positive outcome. My mother used to say it was the reason she met the love of her life. She'd left her purse at a restaurant, and a sous chef found it and tracked her down. When he called her, she wasn't home, and her roommate took the message. A woman answered when my mom called back and put my father on the phone. When they met so that he could give my mother back her purse, she realized he was everything she'd ever wanted. But she also knew, from her initial phone call, that he lived with a woman. Who just happened to be his sister. My dad died of a heart attack when I was 19, and the only way I can even make sense of losing my mother three years later is by telling myself now she's with him again. In the bathroom, I pull my hair back from my face. The scar is silver now, ruched, rippling my cheek and my brow like the neck of a silk purse. Except for the fact that my eyelid droops, skin pulled too tight, you might not realize at first glance that there's something wrong with me. At least that's what my friend Mary says. But people notice. They're just too polite to say something, unless they are under the age of four and still brutally honest, pointing and asking their moms what's wrong with that lady's face. Even though the injury has faded, I still see it the way it was right after the accident, raw and red, a jagged lightning bolt splitting.